As has been mentioned already today, how delightful it is that we can assemble and gather in the name of the God of heaven with the express desire to please and magnify and glorify His cause and His kingdom as we worship Him in spirit and in truth, to borrow the words of John 4 verse 24. As we are assembled today, as is often the case, we have a good number, as Ted mentioned earlier, of our membership and a number of visitors too. We hope each one can feel as if when we leave today we can appreciate the fact we've had the express privilege and honor of worshiping God. As was mentioned just a moment ago, we have been involved on the Sunday morning lessons in a series of lessons giving thought to the matter, to the nature, and to the detail of worship. And one by one, as we have developed the premises the New Testament sets forward, we have been reminded of how important worship is. It is not an idle activity. It is not a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. God is to be worshipped. Jesus said in Matthew 4 verse 10, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. You and I as mortal creatures far beneath the grandeur and infiniteness of God should find it in our heart and express desire to worship. You and I notice though that worship goes deeper than just having that desire to do so. For the New Testament, as you and I have noted, has so much to say about the particulars of it. In particular, at this point, you may notice our opening lesson brought us to realize the definition of worship. Acts of reverence directed to God. And one by one, we highlighted that which is so different sometimes from the worship that men often call it to that definition as the Scriptures presented it. And following that, we began to look at the premises and the details of that New Testament worship. In particular, we casted a spotlight upon the element of prayer. We sang a moment ago about prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We highlighted even in our collective worship what a vital and important part prayer can genuinely be. Following that, we looked at the contribution that monetary collection that we take up that's directed to the services in terms of the treasury and the work of the Lord. We also noticed how significant the New Testament presents that. Last week we turned our attention to the consideration of instruction from the Word of God. What's involved in teaching, preaching if you will. We did notice, didn't we, that that too is a significant part of the revelation of the New Testament. Today, as you probably noted in the title a moment ago, I would invite all of us to turn our attention to worship in song. We have sung songs already this morning, and we often appreciate looking forward to the opportunity to lift our voices together with our brothers and our sisters in Christ in that avenue we call singing. I would even invite you to notice there's an article in the bulletin today don't read it right now, mind you, but take a look at some point and give some appreciation to the marvelous matter of the role that singing has in the church. I hope today's lesson will dovetail with those comments made in that. We didn't plan that, by the way, as far as I know. But as that article was presented, it does have much to say about praising God and doing so through the avenue of song. The next set of thoughts, perhaps, would be fair to comment in. As you and I think about singing, let's develop a premise that puts singing into its role in the life of a Christian, be it a man or a woman, the genuine place that singing has. 
It doesn't take very much consideration of those scriptures in the Bible before we readily appreciate that singing seems to correlate almost identically with the avenue of rejoicing and the avenue of happiness, the avenue that the greatest burdens of all have been lifted through the opportunity and deliverance of God. In Exodus chapter 15, after the children of Israel had left Egyptian bondage, after they had in fact been freed from their Egyptian pursuers on the other side of the Red Sea, almost the first thing of which we have record, they sang. They were engaged in a happy reflection of God's deliverance of them from their Egyptians and also through that Red Sea, we might add. But they expressed their happiness and they expressed their joy among other ways, by singing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, you remember there in the days of King Hezekiah, there was a return unto God in the sense that there had been previous kings who were ungodly, very much so, but we find in the heart of Hezekiah a desire to draw the people back to a proper understanding of God and His will and His law. It was a happy time and the text says the congregation sang. They expressed their happiness and their thanksgiving through the very avenue of song. To that list, we might add James 5.13, found near the close of that little New Testament epistle, where there this rhetorical question is asked, Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. We find in a passage like that one a very subtle reminder that those moments of happiness that you and I feel, it's not at all inappropriate to express those heartfelt sentiments through the avenue of simple singing. Maybe at the house you like to sing with your family. Maybe as you gather near the shades of evening and you perhaps after you share a meal, you have a few moments of song. There isn't anything wrong with that at all. But when you and I come together as the church, we find the New Testament with words of encouragement, words of express nature relative to our singing. As we develop that thought further, we might remember the development of Isaiah 51, verse 3, where there in the blessing characteristic upon ancient Zion, it was to be expressed by way of song. As you think about the New Testament Zion, if you will, we aren't talking about that mountain just outside Jerusalem. We're talking about the spiritual Zion in which we know, of course, that brings us directly to thoughts concerning the church. Should you and I, in our happiness, should our joy and thanksgiving to God be expressed on occasion in song? To ask that question is practically to answer it, isn't it? No wonder then as you come to some of these reflections, isn't it true that you and I, as Christians, are among all people on earth happy and joyous? Because we understand the relationship we have with the Lord. We know we've been forgiven from sin and we understand the promise and reward vouchsafed to those that are God's people. Psalm 144 verse 15 says, Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. And a happy pronouncement placed upon them. Maybe that happiness brings us directly to that familiar set of Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. I'm sure you've already given some thought to that as the lesson has developed to this point. You know that there are several times Jesus said, Blessed are, and then He ended a sentence. On the first occasion, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed means happy. It expresses a sentiment and a characteristic thought 
that does remind us of the sweet opportunity and privilege it is to be a member of the family of God. That idea of family takes us to some explicit examples then in which singing is directly mentioned. You might remember that scene in Matthew 26, verse number 30. On that occasion, the Lord, the night before He was crucified, had just instituted what you and I call the Lord's Supper. And it says, after that, He and the disciples sang in Him and then went out to the Mount of Olives. They sang. It was a time in which Jesus knew well what was about to happen the next day. And quite frankly, it wasn't the happiest of thoughts. He was about to be crucified. But oh, what a monumental and colossal event it was to be to bring in ultimate joy for everybody that would follow His will and obey His way. And didn't He expressly say, not too many words before that, that I'll take this, speaking of the Lord's Supper, with you in the Father's kingdom. Maybe in light of all those thoughts, these matters of singing bring us to that next observation. In prison in Philippi, at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were found praying and singing. Doesn't that speak volumes about what can fill the heart of a person devoted to the Lord? They understand well that whatever their lot on this earth may be, they have a higher and richer reward waiting. The uncomfort, the persecution that surrounded the moment, and yet here they were singing and praying to God. I hope you and I feel a sense of happiness when we can come together at the 9.30, 10.30, 5.30 hours on Sunday, and then at 7 p.m. Wednesday, and among other times when we are able to come together like that, we can sing. In fact, just to make note of it, this coming Wednesday night, if I'm not mistaken, is a singing night. Come and be with us and lift your voice together as we spend the bulk of the hour simply expressing our heartfelt appreciation and thanksgiving unto God. Beyond all of that, let's develop these express commandments. To the Ephesian church, the inspired apostle put it like this in Ephesians 5.19, "...speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, that blessed occurrence of speaking to each other, but how in song?" in which we do so by way of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making a genuine melody unto the, unto the God of heaven, and doing so with the characteristic feeling of the heart. Our singing, of course, should be a vital and significant thing. May you and I never just try to go through the motions. Singing should be much more meaningful than that. You might notice in light of that, that sister passage in Colossians 3, in the 16th verse of that chapter, Paul said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. We'll develop a bit about those two verses more thoroughly a bit later in the lesson this morning, but we have already used them to place them in the proper standing of this moment. As you come near the close of that, May I say that from the New Testament description of singing, we sing not because we have to, but because we should want to. I realize it is given as a commandment, and therein we desire to please the God of heaven, 
but our singing should be a reflection of how we truly feel in thanksgiving to Him. Does that characterize my singing and yours? Or do we sing just because we feel like there's some man up here and we have to? I hope if that's the sentiment of your heart or mind that we will allow over the course of time the Lord Jesus Christ to work with us and through us to change that, that perspective. To discuss singing perhaps brings us then to some of the opportunities to think of what it allows us to engage in. Here's our first one. Praise. One of the most critical aspects of your life and mine as a Christian is the blessed opportunity of praising God, to express praise unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I know that we have the privilege of doing that in many ways, but surely one of the ways that is lifted in such a highlighted fashion is the avenue of singing. In fact, look at just a few of these passages. Praising God throughout all the entirety, it seems, of the Bible is lifted before you and me as a central aspect of living in the way God would have us to live. In fact, just to select one simple little passage, read the 148th Psalm at some point. It isn't all that lengthy, but yet 13 times in that one little chapter, we have an admonition, yea, even an encouragement to praise the God of heaven. You'll notice, among other things, it says in that chapter, even inanimate things like the sun and the stars that occupy the cosmos in which you and I live, even they bring us to appreciate the magnificent glory of God. The angels are said also to praise Him in that chapter. As it proceeds on its way, of course, you and I are also admonished to praise Him. I might use that as an opportune time to ask all of us, does your life serve as a vehicle through which praise to God is directed? Does mine? If it does, that says a great deal about the direction, the tactic, the motivation. It says a great deal about the emphasis that you and I have chosen to follow. This praise to God is highlighted in Psalm 139 verse 14. Listen to this description even as it relates to the creative activity of God. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. To reflect upon the greatness of the human frame, the opportunity of the body should be, among other things, an opportunity to reflect on the need to praise God. Maybe that praise can be seen in these ways as well. You probably noticed that text in Acts 2.47. On the very day the church was established, the very first time when a gospel sermon in this era brought forth responses to the precious call of invitation, verse 47 closes that chapter by saying, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That church, from the very time of its initial establishment, was centered on praising God. That brings us to the passage before us. Brother Jonathan read it a moment ago in Romans 15. Let me redirect your attention to it and listen to the words of the inspired apostle as he challenges us to think about this aspect of singing. Verse number 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, 
that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Immediately we notice that Paul was writing to the church in Rome, and it was a congregation that had a rather distinctive set of personalities. There were those who had a strong Jewish background, and there were those who had a strong Gentile background. Paul's thrust and emphasis in this Roman letter, among other things, was to bind that group of people together, not separated based on their past background and differences, but united under the blood of Jesus Christ. To be one in Christ, Romans 15, 6. We notice here he bolsters that view by quoting from the Old Testament. Verse 9, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles... Thus, a quotation from the Old Testament to the effect that there be a confession even among Gentiles who were not God's selected people of the Old Testament. And notice the way that that praise was expressed, that confession was uttered. I will sing unto thy name. That Old Testament prophecy was a straightforward prediction of a coming era and day from that time when there would be Gentiles and Jews equally able to praise and sing praise unto God with acceptance of Him. That's a great blessing. It goes on to say in verse 10, And again He saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with His people. Hadn't we already learned that singing is an outgrowth, a response of our happiness? Verse number 11, And again, praise the Lord. All ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. So the Gentiles, as well as all people, with the opportunity and yea, the high privilege and honor of praising God. May we take note that as you and I sing, it is a tremendous opportunity to direct the praise that God so richly deserves. You can think about some of the songs that we often sing relative to those points. And as you develop the premise, look at these specific cases. That text we noted earlier in Ephesians 5, verse 19, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That word psalms is a reflection of those 150 matters found in the Old Testament. That book of psalms that, quite frankly, was the songbook of the ancient Jews you and I have the authority from heaven to sing appropriately the words out of those psalms. I might mention in passing that sometimes we sing basically a song that's tailored after the 148th psalm. You probably can spend some time looking over the wording of it and appreciate that our song really is verbatim patterned after it. That passage before us also mentions hymns. These godly or spiritually oriented tunes that allowed us again to express, though they may not be verbatim thoughts of Scripture, it's the principles and sentiments of it. And finally, they're spiritual songs. Odes or otherwise hymns that reflect us, again, the matter of spirituality. I would invite you to think then about the following developments. As you and I see how frequently the church is a praising body, Ephesians 1 verse 6, to make mention also of 1 Corinthians 14, 15. In light of these points, should it not then be true that our singing should be an enthusiastic thing? You and I ought not then just sing again just to get it past, to get on to something else. The words of these songs are richer than that. 
they're more meaningful than that. And Paul expressly said, I will sing with the Spirit. And that word Spirit carries the notion of eagerness and enthusiasm. And I will sing also, of course, in understanding. As you develop that thought with me a little bit further, I've just listed very quickly some titles that you and I often sing, and I'm sure the songs will almost immediately come to mind. Praise Him. Praise Him. The first four words of a song we frequently sing here in our services. Or think about that song, Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore Him. You and I, in fact, sang that one, as I remember, less than two weeks ago. To sing songs like that one challenges us, our God, He is alive. A song of remembrance and praise that our God is not just some distant, lifeless being. He's active and He's alive. Our God is alive. Maybe one final sentiment or two brings us to think of it like this. It is true, isn't it, that among those elements of worship that you and I have discussed, like prayer and contribution and preaching, we realize that perhaps among the others, this matter of singing will occupy a very highlighted note when we arrive at heaven. For there won't be any reason to make a physical collection then. We're spirit beings by that point. By the same token, we will be in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so praying to Him will have a very different sentiment. But what about singing? Revelation does describe for us in Revelation 15 that the blessed faithful will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. If you and I don't enjoy singing the way we should hear, what makes you think you'll enjoy heaven if you even get there? You see, we should appreciate and long to laud God by way of song, and so that singing is a part of what you and I shall be able to do through the ceaseless ages of time. No wonder in light of that aspect of singing, there uttered for us in Revelation 15, it allows us to close that aspect with this question. If it is true, the Bible encourages a commandment relative to the praise of God. And if by way of singing, that is one of the specified avenues of that praise, what does that say about me if I willfully forsake the assemblies? That means I'm willfully choosing not to praise God. And as such, I become guilty of sin. As such, I fail to do that which I have the privilege and the opportunity to do. This matter of praising God isn't the only course, though, in regard to singing. Look at this one. Maybe you and I forget this one far more often than we should. For after all, as we discuss praising God, that is a direct statement that God is our audience as we sing primarily. But may we not ever forget that while we assemble and sing, there's another group of people here also listening and they're admonished in ways of which the Scripture has much to say. Let's develop that thought like this. The matter of instruction, the matter of teaching, as easy as it might be to overlook this one, consider with me that verse that appears in Colossians chapter 3. We noticed it a moment ago. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That alone is a magnificent statement. But notice its manifestation, teaching and admonishing one another. As you and I allow this Word to dwell in us, 
as we strive to make our life into what it sets forth, he says, teaching and admonishing one another. How so, Paul? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You and I thus instruct, we warn, we exhort, we teach, and we do so by way of the way we sing. Some of the words in those songs are by far and away some of the best sermons that you could ever hear preached. And yet as we sing them to each other, we set before others the example of faithfulness and we encourage them in ways that are truly so vibrant. Perhaps it's fair in light of that to look at these sentiments. Christianity is a taught religion. You don't become a Christian by osmosis, by diffusion, by association with people that are godly. Some of the godliest parents maybe that ever lived had ungodly children. Think about the kings of the Old Testament. You and I become Christians. We learn about Christ as, in fact, we give diligence to that which He has delivered. It's a taught religion, isn't it? In fact, even the ancient prophet Jeremiah affirmed as much in Jeremiah 31. Maybe in regard to that point, this truth is in before us. We teach each other when we sing. You and I have the precious duty of teaching each other. Some of these songs that we sing, they warn those that are unruly. They, in fact, paint before a strong scene of judgment to those that are not right. Hopefully someone in the audience then who does need to make things right will be admonished by the words of that song. Maybe they'll be agitated and bothered in spirit and make things right while the opportunity is theirs. But to those that are faithful, what strong sentiments of comfort and reward are expressed in the words of so many of these songs. Amazing, isn't it, in light of all of that? I've listed again, in brevity, just a few of the titles of songs that you and I frequently sing. The church is one foundation. The church is one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. And when you and I, with power, with confidence and assurance, sing that song, we're highlighting the unity expressed in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 7. Songs such as, Take Time to Be Holy. We sang that one last Lord's Day morning, if I'm not mistaken. Take time to be holy, an admonition to every person who proclaims to be a Christian. Never pass a day without making some time to speak to God in prayer, considering carefully the matter of holiness. What about the 99? What a precious song reminding us of God's love even for the wayward. There was one sheep out of the hundred that was lost, and the Lord quickly left and went to find the one. May I say, if there's anybody here today that isn't right with the Lord, the Lord cares about you, and He's actively seeking for you. He's, in fact, went through the cross for you, and the decision is now left to you to come and follow Him. But notice the last song. Tomorrow may be too late. We often use that as an invitation song. Tomorrow may be too late. Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. I'd submit to you that as we have given those thoughts, maybe you can appreciate that as you and I teach each other, what else might we glean from this Colossians 3.16 passage? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We might pause to notice there are many things 
our world uses in a musical fashion that can't teach anything. Mechanical instruments can't teach. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 14, 7, they were lifeless instruments. They carry no life in them. They can't teach. And so we find no authority for their usage in worshiping to God. You might also notice in light of their absence that also suggests to us the following. If indeed in the attribute of singing we praise God and we also teach each other, notice what else can be said if I fail to assemble. I am specifically refusing to teach others the way of God because I'm not there to sing. I'm not there to lift my voice together with others and warn and admonish and exhort. May we be ever interested, serious, and mindful to be present to the assembly so we can teach others better the way of God and praise God as we should. The final comments bring our lesson to a close. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To quote James 4 verse 17. If singing is a good thing and it is like praise and teaching others, then to fail to do it is also a matter of choice and not a pleasant one for you or for me. What about an individual who can sing, but who upon coming together simply stands there or sits there during the service and doesn't sing? Now we aren't talking about those who perhaps for health reasons cannot, but those who choose not to. Again, that's a serious decision. God is to be praised in the assembly of the saints, to quote Psalm 89 verse 7. And He does desire us to teach others. If we then come together and just choose not to sing when we could do so, that text in James says we're guilty of a sin. I hope that none of us will allow ourselves to fall into the plight of thinking that worship is a spectator sport. It's not. Every aspect of worship, the contribution, the prayer, the teaching and instruction, and even now today the singing involves my participation and yours. With those thoughts, why don't we bring our lesson to a close as we think about the singing. We here at Pippin are blessed with men who do such a superb job in leading us. And as they lead us the words of the songs in that songbook, we may, may now conclude our lesson like this. Among those acts of reverence directed to God is the attribute of song, the precious privilege of singing. We've learned that we praise God by way of singing, and we also teach others as we do the same. Today, I hope that each of us can be recharged and rechallenged to allow our singing to truly be an express thanksgiving to God on our behalf for what He has done for us. This very day, if you aren't a member of the body of Christ, if you aren't washed in the blood of the Lamb, another song we often sing, the very words borrowed from Revelation 7 verse 14, if you are not described by such a statement today, why not? He went to the cross for you, shedding His blood that your sins might be forgiven and cleansed. You need to avail yourself of that blood. And that happened as you obey the gospel as taught to us in Romans 6 verses 3 and following. Believe Jesus with all of your heart to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the only begotten Son of God and then be baptized. And in so doing, you contact His blood and your sins are washed away. If we could help you in that way today, it'd be our delight. If you have at once known faithfulness to God, but... Maybe over time, 
you have let worship just become a habit. The singing service, is it thrilling at all anymore? Make a change of heart. You've, you've got a heart problem. And allow the Lord to work in your life to revisit and remake you into what He would have you to be. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you for your forgiveness today. And if we could be of help, don't delay, but come even now while together we stand and sing the selected song.